Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. I know many of you are looking forward to Revelation 16 and doing the seven bowls of wrath today, um, leading up to Christmas. And you know what? We could have made that work for Christmas, I'm just saying. Uh, but we're doing Hebrews 2. Uh, we'll, we'll resume Revelation back in January, uh, where we will finish that off. Um, title today is Christmas is All About Jesus. Um, I love Christmas. It's a wonderful time of year. I remember when we, when we were back in Michigan, uh, at this time of year, there'd be about six to nine inches of snow on the ground. That's like my, that's probably my only complaint. I just wish we had snow here. I love, love snow. I love just being able to go right out the front door, play in the snow. Um, and it, it's just a, a fun time. The kids will always get up early. Uh, we, we gum, we gather around the tree, uh, and, and we'd open presents. Presents, they're a major part of Christmas, aren't they? It's most of us will be doing um, in a couple days. There's wrapping paper, there's tissues, there's bags, there's the bows on the things all underneath the tree. It's, just, it's fun. Uh, the kids love it. It's a neat time to come around. Um, but we know Christmas is not ultimately about the presents we give ourselves. It's ultimately about the extraordinary present that God has given us in Jesus. And so I was kind of thinking through this. As I mentioned that, it's not ultimately about our presence. It's about the presence that it's about the present that God has given us in Jesus. I just imagine that many of you have been in church service for quite a while, and you've kind of maybe been through a lot of the Christmas time services, and it's like, yep, here we go again. Another, another sermon on how, yes, Jesus is the gift. I know our gifts aren't really. Um, you kind of maybe slightly roll the eyes back a little. Oh, it's cute cliches. They're all going to start coming out. Um, But I just want you to think, it is what Christmas is about, Jesus, right? Like, it is Jesus. So even as as corny as sometimes it sounds, it's not about our gifts, it's really about the gift of Jesus. Like, it's not trying to be cheesy. It really is what Christmas is about. If there was no Jesus, there would be no Christmas. It's because of Jesus coming that we have everlasting joy. And, And today what we're going to do is we're going to kind of open up the treasure chest of Christmas, and we want to look at all the riches that are in Christ. And maybe not all the riches, we'd be here maybe a little too long, uh, but at least some of the riches that we see here in he- Hebrews chapter 2. And the goal is, is that we would see that because Jesus became flesh at Christmas, we celebrate the hope we have in him. That's what I just want us to see from this text. I think that's what this text is wanting us to see, is that in Christ we have hope. Ultimately because he came as a man. And so, if you don't mind, we're going to stand as we read our passage. It is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. And we stand here at the reading of God's word. We do so simply as a way to to honor our God, our King, uh, and to respect the very word that he has given us, which comes with his very authority. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's pray. Father, 
Father, we thank you for your word today that specifically talks about why you have sent your son Jesus to come in the flesh. And Lord, I pray that as we study this word, as we look at the truths that are here, that our hearts, our joy would be full. And God, I pray that we see the logic behind Christmas, the reason why Christ had to come if we are to have salvation. God, we praise you for the sending of your Son. We thank you for Christmas. And Lord, I pray as we, as we do open presents, that all of the fun things that we do, all of the traditions, that they would ultimately lead us into greater worship, to greater awe, to greater reverence, to greater praise in you because of what your Son has done for us. So God, may we see the hope of your Son today in your text. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Uh, we're going to start out. Uh, we've got about four points. I, th- I think that's four, maybe five. Uh, Christmas is about Jesus becoming like us. We know at Christmas we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but I want us to see a little bit why that's so incredible. And so if we turn to, um, if we go back just one chapter, go to chapter one real quick, and look at verse two, and there we read, and this is describing Jesus. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So what we have is Jesus is God. He's co-equal, co-eternal with the Father. He is sovereign. He has created all things. With the word, he sustains all of creation at this very moment. He holds the cosmos together. He gives us breath. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-seeing. To see Jesus is to see the very glory of God. And in the book of John, the Gospel of John, Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And so, so when we read that he had to be made like us, we need to realize that what we have is the Son of God, the very radiance of the glory of the Father, has come in flesh. That's what it means when we come back to chapter 2. You look at verse 14, and and then we'll look at 17. It says, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Because we're flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood. Verse 17, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So when we read and we talk about Jesus coming, born as a child, this is no ordinary birth. This is God infinite and all-powerful and almighty, now coming in the flesh. To see Jesus is to see the very glory of God. And we know, as we've read the Bible, it's because of sin that we're separated from God. We see this played out in the garden. Adam and Eve, they've experienced God's love. They've experienced His, His grace. they experience His presence. But when they sin, when they rebel against God, what happens? They're what? They are removed from the garden. And if in the garden they celebrated the very presence of God, outside the garden, what? They no longer enjoy the blessing of God's presence. And because we all come from Adam and Eve, we are sinful, we're separated from God, we are not worthy to come into His presence. And so, without Christ, what hope do we have? We have no means of coming into the presence. Now, into God's presence. All other religions will focus on what 
we can do to get to God or to whatever it is, their eternal state that they believe in. If God is on top of the mountain, they would say, we need to figure out how we get to the top of the mountain. And if you like hiking and trails, you might go to Rainier, you might go to Mount Hood or St. Helens. It's fun hiking those. You might go one trail, I might use another trail, and guess what? We can both get to the top of the mountain. And that's how world religions work. You might take your religion, I might take my religion, in the end it doesn't really matter because all religions end at the top. At least that is how the world would describe religion. And that's where we get things like universalism. Um, But if Christianity is true, there's no hope of climbing the mountain. In fact, what we read is we can't even approach the mountain. We can't touch the mountain. We can't come on the mountain. We are not worthy to come into the very presence of God. There is no going up. God is infinite. He's separated from us. He is transcendent. He is holy. We have no business being in His presence. So again, what hope do we have? We have nothing. But Christianity says because we can't go up, God has come down. That's Christmas. That's that's Christmas. We can't go up. We cannot make our way to God in any way at all. So therefore, He has come down. At Christmas, we celebrate Jesus, the Son of God, the very image of God, has come to earth, been born in the flesh like you, like me. Isn't that good news? That's Christmas. That's the miracle. The infinite, all-powerful God has come in the flesh. So when we celebrate Christmas and we talk about gifts and we say, really, the greatest gift is what God has done? That's, what else could we say? In fact, even those very words are not sufficient to express the joy and the gratitude and the immense gift of what Christ is to us. Jesus has come down the mountain so we can forever be with Him. And so, our rest of our points, what they're going to look at is they're going to see why it was necessary for him to come down. Why it was necessary for Jesus to come in the flesh. So the first point, Jesus come in the flesh. That's Christmas. Now we're going to look at why. What did he accomplish? What happened? Why was it necessary for him to come in the flesh? Why did Christmas have to happen? Number one, Christmas is about Jesus setting slaves free. Verse 14, we read, Through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So one reason Jesus came in the flesh was to free slaves from the fear of death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death because we are sinful. What we understand is, according to God's word, we deserve death. When Satan deceived Adam and Eve into eating the fruit and rebelling against God, death entered the world. And to some extent, which we're not going to unpack today, Satan has this power over death. And he uses it as a means of manipulating, of deceiving, of of affecting humanity. And we're told in verse 15 that we are all slaves to the fear of death. So death is like the weapon of Satan that he uses as a means of controlling, as this, as this master. And we, we are affected by it because we are all fearful of death. And if we spend a bit of time, it's, it's not too hard to begin to understand how humanity is a slave to the fear of death. John Piper said this, 
The fear of death enslaves everybody into a dream world of denial, frenzied distraction, or paralyzing panic. Just think about that. Dream world of denial, you don't even pay attention to it. Frenzied distraction, we're just busy all the time, doing everything we can to distract us from it. Or paralyzing panic, we're so focused on it, there's nothing we can do because we just think death is coming. Death rules like a silent master. Many people will try to avoid thinking about it. They act as if it does not exist. They will busy themselves and do whatever they can so they will not contemplate their mortality. Others live in panic. They cannot stop thinking about it. They believe death is like this enemy crouching around every corner, around every building, looking at how to devour. Others try to simply minimize it. I'm just not even going to go there. Or they will entertain religions that talk about, you know, when you die, that's it. It's just this peaceful realm. It'll be a wonderful thing. Regardless of how one responds to this fear, the fact is death is coming for everyone. And the bottom line is humanity is afraid of death. And we will do whatever it is to either not think about it, to try to avoid it, to minimize it, to distract us from it. This is why Christmas is so incredible. Jesus comes in the flesh so he'd set us free from this fear. Jesus, as God, cannot die, right? He's eternal. He's infinite. But Jesus comes in the flesh so that he could die. And so how does, he set us, how does he set us free from slavery to death? He does it by dying. Look at verse 14. Through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. So Jesus overcame death and the devil through his death. His death killed death. Does that make sense? That, that's what we're reading here. Jesus died the death of death. You can say it a whole bunch of ways. I think Spurgeon had really cool ways of saying it. Um, But ultimately, through his death, he overcomes the one who has the power of death. So no longer are we fearful of death. And we could just say the word death a lot and probably get us all confused. But what we understand, Jesus overcame death and the devil through his death. That's why Jesus came. He came in the flesh so one day he would die. And then he would not only go into death, he'd come out the other side victorious. He conquered it. Which, see, we can tie this right back to Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, what do we have? Jesus. We have Jesus, a beautiful presentation of him, standing. And we're told he's holding some keys. Remember what he's holding? The keys of what? Death and Hades. We've done that like a hundred times, I'm sure, since we met. It's just a cool symbol, right? With Christ holding death and Hades. Now, why does he hold it? Because he came at Christmas for the purpose of dying, of defeating death, so he'd come out victorious the other side. He'd hold them and say, look, I conquered it. No longer do you need to fear death. Now, the word destroy does not mean to obliterate. It means to make powerless. So so Satan has not been, I mean, he's been defeated. We know his ultimate defeat will come when Christ returns again in the lake of fire. So at this moment, he's been stripped of his power. The tool, the weapon that he used to control, Christ came in, took it from him, and beat him with it. Right? Isn't that what we have? Jesus comes in, takes death, overcomes death, beats Satan with it. This is what Spurgeon said. Death was the devil's chief entrenchment. 
Christ bearded the lion in his den, fought him on his own territory, and when he took death from him and dismantled that once impregnable fortress, he took away from him not only that, but every other advantage that he had over the saints. And now Satan is a conquered foe, not only in the hour of death, but in every other hour and in every other place. Isn't that sweet? That's a good quote. Christ has come and he's defeated Satan. He's taken his weapon and he's disarmed him. So Christmas is a celebration that by faith in Christ we're no longer slaves to death. Now before we unpack more of that, I want us to look at our next point because our next point kind of goes into more details. It shows what happened at Jesus' death, why it was necessary for him to come in the flesh so that death would be defeated and we no longer need to fear it. And remember, Everything we're talking about today is only possible because of Christmas. Because Christ came down in the flesh. If Christ doesn't come down, we don't have this passage, which means we don't have the gospel. So Everything we're talking about is only possible because of Christmas. Which leads us to the next point. Christmas is about Jesus paying our debt. If you look at verse 17, we see Christmas again. You don't see the words, but it says Jesus was made like his brothers in every respect. When did that happen? This is our interaction time. When did that happen? Christmas. See? You guys know. Just say Christmas or Jesus a lot and you'll win, like every time. I think that's what happens in Sunday school, right? Just say Jesus, which is why when I was a youth pastor, I made the answer always Nebuchadnezzar. Like seriously, they were like, Jesus? No, it's Nebuchadnezzar. Anyways. It's a long story. Um, but we see verse 17. Jesus was made like his brothers in every respect. He came in the flesh so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest and the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So we're going to unpack that. Jesus comes in the flesh so he could be a priest and he could offer a sacrifice. And let's pause for a moment. Why do we need Jesus to make a sacrifice for us? It's because we owe a debt to God. Now, what is our debt? Well, because we are sinful, we've offended God. We've rebelled against God's rule. We've rejected his glory. Now, think about it. Today, in today's culture, people will go out of their way to try to explain life, creation, meaning, and purpose without God, right? I mean, culture, especially here in America, has made it almost seem taboo to mention God, to mention Jesus, to mention the gospel, to mention church, to mention the faith in the public. As soon as you mention that, any of those things, someone says, oh, you can't talk about that here. They want us to feel like those are things that have been cast to the outermost shadows, have no real effect on who we are. This world has rejected God. And because we are a part of it, because we are sinful, we've all rejected God. We've all tried to lead a life in rebellion to God. And so what is the punishment for offending the Most High God? Well, Chris explained this the other day, and we've used this explanation many times. If you, if you, hit, if you hit a normal person, if you hit me, probably nothing is going to happen, right? You hit a police officer, what's going to happen? Night in jail, maybe a month in jail, however that works. If you hit the United, the President of the United States, you're going to, you're going to die, right? Like, they'll just shoot you. Why? Right, because the 
the consequence, the judgment, is based upon the level of the authority of the one offended. That's how it always works, right? So what happens when we offend the highest authority? That's a big judgment. You know, I knew when he did that it wasn't going to stay. You know, he might be able to reach higher than me, but it's just a click. James, where are we? All right. Offending God. Not offending me, offending God. All right. When we offend the Most High God, the punishment is infinite. And that's, that's what we see in God's Word. It's a punishment that we cannot pay back. It's a debt that even after a thousand years of torment, we will be no closer to the end. Do you realize that? You will be no closer at a thousand years, at five thousand years, at ten thousand years. You'll be no closer to the end of an eternal punishment. It will go on forever and ever and ever. So that's why Christmas is so sweet. Jesus became flesh. So he would be our merciful and faithful priest. He came to offer a perfect sacrifice that would pay our debt. He came to offer a sacrifice that would satisfy God's wrath. And so what is the sacrifice he offered? It's himself. So so get this. He comes as the priest and as the sacrifice. Do you get that? We needed a perfect high priest. Later in Hebrews, we'll talk about how priests always had to make sacrifices for themselves first because they were sinful. So before we represent you, i got to go do a sacrifice for myself so I can be made right. Jesus doesn't make any sacrifice for himself. He comes and makes one sacrifice. And what we read, in the old, what we read also in Hebrews in chapter 9 and chapter 10 is that the blood of bulls and goats doesn't really take away the blood or the the sins of us. It's not a proper substitute. The lamb, what, what reason is there for killing the lamb and how does that now bring justice for me? It's not a proper substitute. So what, what all the Old Testament is about, it's about these symbols that point us to the ultimate lamb, that point us to the ultimate sacrifice, to the sacrifice that only needs to be offered once and so that's what jesus has come to do he's come as the perfect priest to offer the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the people and the word propitiation is very important many of you know that we throw that word around a lot here but your salvation hinges on that word do you know that it hinges on that word the word means wrath absorber so when jesus comes he stands in your place and my place, in the place of all who will believe in him, and he absorbs the wrath of God. So the debt that we owe, Jesus pays at the cross. The judgment that we should receive, he received. That's what the gospel is about. It's about substitution. The problem is, you can't stand in my place, I can't stand in your place, and there's no one worthy at all to stand in any of our place because we're sinful. We all come from Adam and Eve. We need another man. We need a better man. We need a perfect man. We need a man who can actually represent us. Hence, God comes in the flesh. Does it make sense? That's Christmas. 
We now have someone who is the perfect priest, the perfect sacrifice to stand in your place, in my place, in the place of everyone who will trust in Jesus, and he will absorb the full wrath of God. And if Christ has absorbed the wrath of God, what's left for now you and me who believe in him? Peace, love, and grace. You see that? Now God has made peace for us. And don't think that Jesus got the short end of the stick. They're not up there and the spirit in them are pulling straws and Jesus got the short straw. It's all right, Jesus, you've got to be the one. In Hebrews chapter 12, we read that it was for the joy set before him he comes to this earth that he would accomplish the Father's will. So he didn't come here begrudgingly. Oh, man, these sinful people. I'm going to stand in their place. No, with joy he came. With joy he took flesh on so that he would take our sins, would take our punishment, stand in our place. So what? So God would be glorified, so he would be magnified, and we would have eternal life and joy with him. That's what Christmas is. Philip Bliss wrote the song, Man of Sorrows. I think, I think we've sung this song, don't we? We sing the song, Man of Sorrows. So let me just read a few of the verses, and I think they're going to be up on the screen. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. I'm not singing this, just so you know. I thought about it, and I'm like, eh, it just won't be so joyful. In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, helpless, lost were we. Blameless Lamb of God was he. Sacrificed to set us free. Hallelujah, what a Savior. He was lifted up to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high, hallelujah, what a Savior. When he comes, our glorious King, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew the song will sing, hallelujah, what a Savior. Why is it that Jesus' death frees us from the bonds of death? Because Jesus pays our debt. He satisfies the wrath of God, so now we, we become sons of God. It's all about substitution. He comes and stands in our place. He took the wrath that we should have received. Jesus took the nails in his hands so we would receive the crown of glory. You hear that? We celebrate that Jesus came to be laid in a manger knowing that one day he'll be laid on a cross so that we could have eternal life with him. So now what I want to do, I just want us to slow down and I want us to just unpack this a little bit more. Jesus comes in the flesh so he would pay our debt. We've, we've covered that. By faith in him, our sins are forgiven. We no longer under God's wrath. This means we don't need to fear death. Death is no longer a destroyer, but it's a door that brings us into the eternal presence of God. We don't need to fear death. The Apostle Paul said, death is gain. This is what, let me read Spurgeon again. Spurgeon says, O children of God, death hath lost its sting, because the devil's power over it is destroyed. Then cease to fear dying. You hear it? Thou knowest what death is. Look him in the face. Tell him, thou art not, thou not, ah, thou art not afraid of him. I don't speak that way much then cease to fear dying. Now, is that just Spurgeon? Is Spurgeon just, is he pulling something that's not really in the Scriptures? 
Now, I, I think he's doing a pretty good job here saying exactly what God's word is. Let me read just a couple other passages from the New Testament. Read the Bible, and just as you're reading, notice how it talks about death, how, how writers of New Testament, how Christians contemplate their mortality, contemplate what will happen after death. And this is just a few. Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, to what? To die is, why is it gain? Because death is no longer our destroyer, it's no longer our slave, it's been conquered and now brings us into the presence of God. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.8, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, when he dies or when Christ returns. Does Paul have any fear of death? He said, there's a crown waiting for me. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 and 8. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. What does Paul long for? He longs for the presence of God. How do we get there? Either Christ is returning, and you know we pray that happens, but if that doesn't, history shows everybody dies paul is not clinging to this mortal flesh he says look this this is an empty shell one day it will fall down one day it will perish he's putting no hope in this shell his hope is to be with god his joy is to be with god rather be away from it. can you say that i would rather be away now now that doesn't mean we want to die. It doesn't mean we want pain. It doesn't mean we don't want to be with our loved ones. But it does mean we count the very presence of God greater and sweeter than anything this world has to offer, even our own breath. That's what the gospel does. Now think about that. How do you hurt someone? How do you persecute someone that has absolutely no fear of death? And we actually long for what's on the other side. You see how we're no longer slaves? We don't have to be in frenzied panic trying to distract ourselves. No, we actually can contemplate death quite well. And we ought to. Jonathan Edwards said that he committed 20 minutes a day to just thinking about heaven. That's cool. If you can do five, I think that'd be great. But his whole point was this is not our home. Our home is with Christ. In the new heavens and new earth. So let's, let's have joy here. Let's live all we can. But let's realize that the presence of God is where we're headed for. The Christians, we don't need to fear death. We live in light of what is beyond the grave. So what does that look like? Let me flesh this out with a quote. Adoniram Judson. I've read this before. He was a missionary to Burma. I want you to think about how he asks his future father-in-law for his daughter's hand in marriage. So... If you're a father, I just want you to think of a, of a potential male coming and asking for your daughter's hand in marriage. Just think this through. This is what he says. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. 
Can you consent to all this? For the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness, brightened with acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Would you consent to that guy asking for your daughter's hand in marriage, promising that kind of life? That's what the gospel frees us from. It frees us from a fear of death. It frees us from thinking that this humanity, that this body here is the end goal. No, this isn't the end goal. Christ has saved us so that we would be with him. He came down the mountain so that one day when he returns, he brings us back and we stand with him forever. That's the end goal. And when that becomes our joy, no longer are we looking at how we preserve. We're we're willing to go into missions. We're willing to go anywhere, be obedient at any cost. If it costs us our life, so be it. And what happens It is to our advantage, as Paul says. He longs for that day to be in the presence of God. When we don't fear death, we can live boldly for God. You see how God gets all the glory in this? It's all about Him. He came. He took on flesh. He defeated death. He defeated Satan so that we could have life. Notice how Judson says, you will not see her again to the world of glory. What's the point? You want a reunion? It'll be out there in the new heavens and new earth. Let's not, let's not live for our family reunions here in this world. They're great. They're sweet. We do one every year in Oklahoma. I like them. But that's not the ultimate family reunion. The ultimate reunion is when we're gathered around the Lamb's throne forever. And just a preface. It, again, it's, it's not that we, we long for the pain of death. It's not that we're, we're looking for torture. But we just know that all of that is momentary to the home that we have in Christ forever. So what do we do? We live like free men. What do we have to fear? One last point, and it's good. I like this last one. I like them all. Actually, I love this whole passage, but this... This one's good too. We're surrounded by hurt and loss today. We're surrounded by death today. Our bodies are getting older and weaker even at this moment, right? I played Monopoly with my youngest son the other day. Mistake number one, sitting on the floor with him, the hard floor down in the basement. You know, Monopoly's not like the the five-minute game. It's like an hour. Oh, I beat him. I beat him good. Oh man, I, I have so much properties. He, every time he landed on something, I was like, that's 20 bucks. And I got houses. I got hotels. He didn't want houses. He's like, I don't need those. I was collecting like 400 bucks. It was great. Uh, but he got me back because when the game ended, I was still sitting on the floor. And he's like jumping up and he's like, all right, we're ready. And I'm like, okay, okay. I mean, it was so hard to get up. I felt so stiff. Like every bone, every ligament was just, it did not move. And that's where we're at right now, right? Some of you are like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, (laughs) 
But the devil has been stripped of his power. He no longer threatens with death. But what does he do? He'll try to distract us from the grace of God that we have now. He'll try to get us to forget the victory that we have in Jesus. Often in trials, in pains, and in hardships, he'll whisper in your ear, you're not good enough. You can't make it. He wants you to feel lonely. He wants you to feel abandoned. He wants you to feel sorrowful. He wants you to feel hopeless. He wants you to think God has forgotten you. So look at this next point. Christmas is about Jesus giving us grace in our time of need. Verse 18, we read one more reason. It says, one more reason he comes in the flesh. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus came in the flesh so he can help us in any trial, in any temptation, in any pain, in any hurt, in any sadness that we experience. Do you know that? That's why he came. It's not just that you have hope that one day you'll experience his grace and his presence. His grace is available for you right now, at every moment, in every trial, and every circumstance you are in. Jesus knows what it feels like to be abandoned, to be rejected, to be spit upon, to be beaten, to be mocked. He felt the pain of being ridiculed by his family and friends. He knows loneliness. He knows sleeplessness. He knows loss. And and why does he know those things? Because he came in the flesh, because of Christmas. He came so he can help us in every trial, in every temptation, in every pain, in every hurt, in every sadness that we experience. And what's incredible, he never sinned at all. He never once sinned. So do you know what that means? He never gave in to temptation. You see, when you and I are tempted, we give in usually at some point, right? Now we might go for a while, but at some point, we will give in to temptation. It gets too hard. But Jesus never gave in. So what does that mean? He knows the full force, the full power, the full um, persuasion of temptation. He's experienced all of it, and he's resisted all of it. He's never backed down. He's never given in. So what does that mean? It means he knows exactly how to help you wherever you're at, in whatever trial, at whatever level of temptation you're in. So wherever you're at, whatever you feel, you say, no, God can't. Yes, he can, because he came in the flesh, experienced all of our temptations, to very different temptations, might look somewhat different back then, but all of our temptations at the heart of them, and he went the full distance with every single one of them, never giving in, resisting it completely, so where you are at right now, wherever you are feeling, whatever pain you have, whatever loss, whatever lie Satan is whispering to you, Jesus is sitting there going, I have grace. I know where you are at. I can give you grace right now. That's the beauty of what he has done for us. Let me read Hebrews 4. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because he came in the flesh and was tempted by all of them. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, now here's the consequence of that. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace 
to, in help, to help in time of need. We come confidently in the throne room. Why? Because God gives grace. And he knows exactly what grace to give you. So whether you're going through something right now, or in a month, or wherever you're at, Jesus is whispering right now, I know your pain. I have grace for you. And all that's possible because of Christmas. Jesus came in the flesh. So he would know our pain. So he would know our hurt. And he could say, I have been there. And give us the perfect grace for whatever we're at. I hope you know that today. I hope you rest in that truth. We have, we have great confidence that death has been defeated so we're guaranteed to be in his presence forever. And sometimes we just sometimes think, okay, Christianity is about eternal life, and we just get that later. But what this passage shows us is that Jesus coming in the flesh is applicable to you at every moment of every day. At every day you're having great joy, and every day you're having great pain. He is with you. And he has grace for you. Now, we skipped over one verse, verse 16. It says, For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. So, just to boil it all down to kind of quickly, one thing this verse does is let us know who will experience the very gifts of Jesus. Who will experience the treasure chest of Christmas? Who benefits from Jesus coming in the flesh? Who is no longer a slave to death? Whose debt did Jesus pay? And the answer is Abraham's offspring. And that's really just a simple way of saying to those who have faith in Jesus. Abraham was counted righteous in the Old Testament because he had faith. And in the New Testament, we see that Abraham kind of becomes the, the father of Christianity in the sense that we all come from Abraham. Everyone who, has, everyone who believes in Jesus, in a sense, comes from Abraham. So all these benefits, all that Christ has done, is available for all who are in Abraham, meaning all those who will trust in Jesus. All those who will be justified by faith. And so, so I ask you today, do you believe in Jesus? As you're gathering around the tree, have you received the gift from God? Holding a present and opening a present is very different. The one who holds the beautifully wrapped gift. They might feel good about themselves, but they do not experience the joy of the present as long as they simply hold the wrapped present. It's the one who opens it. It's the one who receives it by faith. They experience the joy, the blessings, the gift. And there are many people in many churches today who are all holding the gift. And they've walked around with the gift for years, maybe decades. Maybe they say things like, my parents were Christians. I'm a Christian now too. And they're simply just holding the gift, but they've actually never have received the gift. And so I just, I just want to challenge you today. I just want to bring to your mind, have you actually received the gift of Jesus Christ? Or are you just holding a box? And you know a lot about Jesus. You know a lot of facts about Jesus. But have you opened it? Have you experienced the forgiveness of sins? Have you experienced the grace of God rushing upon you? His comfort, His mercy, His love. 
Have you experienced the fact that you are no longer a slave to death? That you are now a child of God, a citizen of his kingdom. That he, his eternal presence is what awaits you in the new heavens and new earth. Do you, do you know that? Do you have that confidence? Not because you just know facts, but because you know you believed in those facts. I just encourage you to know that truth. Christmas, it's all about Jesus. I've heard people say before, if you need hope, just look inside of you. Dig down deep. Know that you can do better. And that's a lie from Satan. You have no hope in you. (laughs) Isn't that a great way to end? (laughs) You got nothing. Merry Christmas. I didn't really realize the way that would come out. But, you know, that's okay because it's true. Like, think about it. If someone's drowning, believe that you can swim. You're going to die. The only way we have hope is when hope comes to us. That's Christmas because hope comes to us. Jesus comes down the mountain in the flesh that he would live as you and I have. Be tempted in every way that you and I have, but he went the distance and he went into death, conquered death, beat Satan with his weapon, now holds the keys of death and promises victory and life and forgiveness for all who will believe in him. And know that when you believe in him, he meets you with grace every day at every moment. That's Christmas. And so as you gather around the tree, remind your family about this gift. Talk about the gifts. Let your kids see the joy of the presence. Let them express it. And then shepherd and guide them into the much greater present. And and they might not get it this year or next year. Apparently mine haven't gotten it, and mine's 11 years old. But you know what? It's like those building blocks. We're just laying a foundation. It's bigger, it's bigger, and bigger. And they learn a little bit more each time. If you're going to be gathering with unbelievers, with with friends, with family, make sure to spend time just unpacking the truth of Christmas. I encourage you, read more than just uh, the, the Christmas story, but unpack it some. Talk about why it's good. Talk about the gift of Jesus. Let's pray, and I'm going to ask the men to come forward, and we will pass out the elements this morning. Father, oh Father, we praise you, and we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have sent him to this earth in the flesh, that he would stand as our substitute, that he would be our priest, and he would be our sacrifice, and that he would be our propitiation, standing in the gap between you and us, that he would absorb the wrath, so that by faith in him, we would receive his righteousness. We'd no longer fear death. And we know we are guaranteed eternal life with you. And your grace is for us right now. Lord, I pray that everyone in here knows that truth. I pray that everyone in here has opened that gift of Jesus Christ by faith. And that we've received you and we've experienced your love and your grace and your mercy. In your wonderful name, Jesus, amen.